you were here Sunday, you heard me announce that this week and next week I'll be doing a two-part prophecy update for 2014. Uh, hard to believe we have less than two months left. Of course, we had a big day in the United States yesterday with the uh, elections that took place across the country. I was personally glad to see some candidates that um, uh, are against abortion come into office, and that uh, that's a really good thing because God loves unborn children, doesn't he? But um, uh, elections come and go, but when we look at prophecy, uh, it's settled forever in heaven, isn't it? So we'll look at what the Word of God has to say about um, uh, we're going to, tonight we'll look at uh, kind of what's going on right now, and then next week we'll uh, focus a little more on what to be looking for, what will be coming, what things, uh, what developments, developments does the Bible uh, point us to that, uh, that we can be watching for and looking for. But we want to take a look uh, first at uh, Matthew 24. Um, uh, you may be familiar with the term, the Olivet Discourse, uh, or the uh, Jesus speaking there on the Mount of Olives. And so uh, it was only uh, a few days before he would go to the cross uh, that he gives this end times message. Uh, and it's prompted by a question by the disciples. We'll look at a couple other passages as well. But we want to start here. So if your Bibles are open, uh, starting in verse 3 in Matthew chapter 24... Uh, and again, this is a good little nugget for when you talk to people and say, if you tell them they don't know anything about the teachings of Jesus, remember uh, John chapter 3, fantastic place to ask people, do you, do you know who coined the term, you must be born again? You know, and you Christians came up with it. No, 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 Jesus came up with it. And you show them in John chapter 3, well, if they ask, uh, what about all this end time stuff you all talk about? Well, Jesus talked about it just days before going to the cross. So let's take a look. Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 3. Now as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these... Oh, let me go back to verse 2, sorry. Go back to verse 2 first. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? They were marveling at the temple. Uh, they were looking at the temple. Magnificent building. Uh, definitely one of the wonders of the ancient world. Uh, they were marveling at the temple. Jesus tells them in verse 2, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus tells them here, prophetically, of the destruction of the temple. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, and they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness will bound, the love of, money will, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Drop down to uh, verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And he goes on in verse 37, drop to 37, but as, the di- but as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be the coming of the Son of Man. Now I'll stop, I'll stop there in this passage. Turn with me just for a second over to Luke 21, parallel passage. You'll see the same question is prompted in verse 7. Teacher, when will be these things? He says, uh, starting verse 8, Take heed that you are not deceived. Many will come in my name. Uh, Drop down uh, to verse 20. Uh, Here he speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation is near. Um, He goes on in in verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars on the earth and distress of nations with perplexity in the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear of the expectation of these things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. And verse 27 is the final coming of Jesus, the second coming. Now, one last place to turn to, and again, we're looking at a brief composite because Jesus, when Jesus, and it's not just when Jesus speaks on prophecy, in the Bible, when the Bible speaks on prophecy, it doesn't speak on prophecy always like this. Kind of goes like this. Make sense? Because God doesn't look at time the same way we do. That makes sense. So he will go back Go forward, go up, go down to some extent. Uh, this is what gets some people confused. Next week, I will, uh, for example, share with you why I believe in the rapture of the church. Some people don't even believe in the rapture because they can't find the actual word in the scriptures. Uh, you know, I've had even even there's a brother in the Lord that I greatly respect that uh, he doesn't he doesn't believe uh, that anyone would find the rapture if they were just reading the Bible on their own. I, I disagree with that viewpoint. I believe in the rapture of the church, and I believe in it prior to the uh, tribulation period, and the tribulation prior to the millennium reign of Christ. So the, we'll look at some of that stuff next week, but we're looking at a composite tonight of what Jesus said would take place in the times of the end before the final cataclysmic things would start to take place. Now, last place, turn over to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel, just go left in your Bibles. You've been in our Ezekiel study. Daniel comes right after Ezekiel. Ezekiel, then Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. Again, Daniel gives us another nuance, and Jesus quotes from Daniel in Matthew 24 as well. He quotes from Daniel, which would also be in the 11th chapter and the 12th chapter. Um, well, I'll cite that in just a second. But we, di- we didn't read all of Matthew 24, but 
Daniel gives us a, co- a couple other insights as to the times in which I believe we're living in right now. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, starting with verse 4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the, end, until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. He goes on to say in verse 10, drop down to verse 10, many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit. We want to be those that are wise. We want to be those that understand. We want to be those that are watching. We want to be those that are waiting. We want to be those that are willing to do your will in these days in which we live. Lord, we pray that these things would not strike fear in us, but in fact, Lord, that they would fortify our faith. And Lord, that we would just have that rest, that knowing that you're in control of all things. The same rest Daniel had, even if he had to be placed into a den with lions, Lord. We pray that you would just give us boldness in these days. And your peace, Lord, would fill us and keep us peace that's beyond human understanding. Lord, we just, again, ask that your spirit would just give wisdom and understanding this evening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, I'm titling uh, this Prophecy 2014 Update, uh, Part 1. The specific name is, What Are We Witnessing? What Are We Witnessing? The Bible, when it comes to prophecy, one of the reasons that this is something that we want to do every so often, I don't, this is the first prophecy update I've given this year, although if you come, you know that I, you know, where prophecies in the text, we'll certainly talk about it as it comes up. But about somewhere between a third to a fourth of the scriptures is prophetic. Uh, some prophecies that have already taken place, of course, look at all the prophecies related to the birth of Christ and things that he would do in his ministry that you'd find in the Psalms, you'd find in Isaiah, for example, you'd find in Daniel also, that have already been fulfilled. So that also counts as prophetic scriptures. And then in a larger sense, all of the Bible is prophetic. In other words, it all comes from the throne of God and from the voice of God given to men of God. But as far as prophecy that speaks of future things, somewhere between a third and a quarter of the Bible speak of future things. Because some things are just historical in the Bible, or more doctrinal, or more teaching, or encouragement, or poetic psalms. So it's important for us to, uh, anything that God puts in there somewhere between a third and a quarter of the time is extremely important to the Lord. Now, as far as last days go, remember that the last days, which is inclusive of the church age which we're in now, we're in this church age that Jesus established, And it began with Christ returning to the Father. The last days begin as Jesus returns to the Father. Then there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church, which initiates not only the the fact that we need that immersion of the Spirit, but the church needs the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have from that point, uh, somewhere right around there, is the church age and the beginning of the last days, as Peter proclaims that in Acts chapter 2. Understand, though, when Peter says that, when Peter uh, proclaims that these are the last days, he he quotes from the prophet Joel there in Acts chapter 2, and understand that the prophetic scriptures, and we've talked about this if you're with the longer prophecy series I did two years ago, understand that the prophetic scriptures, they often incorporate 
often incorporate the principle of duality. In other words, the prophecy applies to more than one thing simultaneously. We talked about a simple illustration, simultaneously. I'm a husband, father, pastor, brother, son, right? Multiple things at the same time. Prophecy in the Bible often will speak to more than one thing at the same time, this principle of duality. Case in point, when Peter says, brethren, these are the last days, not only is it the initiation of the last days, the church age, Christ resending to the Father till he comes back for the second coming, right? So the ascension and the re-entry to take his church and ultimately to judge the world. There was also less, and when Peter said that, there was less than 40 years remaining, less than 40 years remaining when Peter made that statement, before the temple would be destroyed. By who? By the Roman Empire. Just as Babylon had done when? 600 plus years earlier. Do you see how prophecy, remember if you've been with him, prophecy repeats itself to some degree. Not every prophecy, but some prophecies. The prophecies related to Jesus, some of them only happened once. He was born in Bethlehem one time. There's not a repeat of that. But some prophecies, there's a repeating nature. The destruction of the temple and rebuild of the temple. Destruction, temple, rebuild of the temple. But there was 40 years, less than 40 years remaining before the temple would be destroyed by the Roman Empire, completely leveled. So the last days of the temple as the focal point of worship. Think about this. When Peter says, makes this statement, the last days of the temple, and they're in Jerusalem, the temple's still there, everyone is there. Matter of fact, people are there to go to the temple uh, because it's the Feast of Pentecost, and people, uh, Jewish people have come from all over the world to converge on the temple. And what did Jesus have to say? Well, he spoke about the temple, of course, and when he initiates the whole last time, end times prophecy. So the last days of the temple were the focal point, uh, or these would be the last days, I should say. These would be the last days of the temple as the focal point of worship, and yet the last days of Christ till his second coming had begun at the same time. So you have the dwindling of the last days of the temple, and you have the beginning of the last days, and they're kind of crisscrossing there. That makes sense? The temple period is coming to an end, and yet the church age is just beginning, and the last days for human, uh, all of mankind is on the clock as well. Now notice that the destruction of the temple, as I mentioned, this was the very prophecy that Jesus began when he foretold of the final climatic events of the earth. He used something that no one else there knew. Remember, they were marveling the temple. Amazing. I mean, we were in Israel, and, and when you stand next to some of, the, some of the just stones that are just these monolithic uh, stones that are huge, uh, it's amazing to think what it would have looked like when you look at it uh, in, you know, I can't remember, I think it was 22 stories total in height up to the top, but, you know, just uh, an incredible structure, and the disciples couldn't, couldn't fathom that it would be destroyed, but that's what Jesus used as the beginning point, and then he goes into the final climatic events of the earth. In Matthew 24, he begins with the temple destruction. He quotes from Daniel chapter 11 and 12 and verse 15, which we did not read just for the sake of time. You can go back and read that speaking of uh, the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. He references a temple 
that can't be this temple because this temple is going to get destroyed. But he speaks of the holy place, quoting from Daniel. Uh, so we have another temple coming, yet to, yet to be built, which will be in Jerusalem. In that same passage, as I mentioned, he references the Antichrist. He goes on in the 24th chapter, which we're not covering all of this, but again, in the 24th chapter, just as a synopsis, he tells of the flight to Judea when the Israelites or the, or the Jewish people in the tribulation period will have to flee out of Jerusalem. He tells of the signs in the heavens, some of which will happen uh, in the end times, some uh, or, or the beginning of sorrows, and some will happen in the tribulation period itself. He take, speaks of his final coming when he'll defeat uh, Satan and all the enemies of the world that are against him. That'll be the final coming. He speaks of that. He speaks of the sign of the fig tree, which is Israel. We'll look at that uh, tonight. He speaks of the condition of the world in the final days, and I believe we very well could be. I, I tend to believe that we are, but again, I won't be dogmatic because we don't know definitively, but a number of things would point us to the fact that we very well are very possibly, perhaps even likely, in the final days. His sudden coming uh, for his own, the rapture, which we'll look more at next week. Uh, what is this sudden coming? How do we define that from the second coming, the rapture versus the second coming? Uh, and then he speaks in the final verses of the 24th chapter of being watchful and ready, which is why you're here tonight and why I'm sharing it tonight, being watchful and ready. What we'll look at tonight are the end times world conditions. What we're going to look at tonight is the kind of condition of the world and what Jesus refers to, what those conditions will look like. And again, he references them as the beginning of sorrows. That doesn't sound like a great term, does it? The beginning of sorrows. Because even though there's always been sorrow and there's always been destruction, there's going to be an escalation of it. And when you study the prophecies of Jesus, remember that Jesus lived on the earth 33 years. In his 33-year ministry, uh, there was prophecies about his early life, childhood, birth. There was prophecies about all the way till his prophecies to, to his death and resurrection. The vast majority of the prophecies of Jesus take place in the last week of his life to the death and resurrection. So all, the vast majority of the prophecies are accelerated near the end of Jesus' ministry. It's a principle, if you, understand, uh, if you ever heard the word vector, you know when a rocket is, is launched, they used to take the space shuttle, I think they've canceled space shuttles now, right? They don't to, I think NASA did away with that program. But remember the space shuttle would be connected to a rocket. And they would shoot the rocket up, and then when it reached a certain speed and altitude, then the jets of the space shuttle, they would kick in, and they, it would launch, and it would send it exponentially faster because the, you already had a speed trajectory, and then the space shuttle was able to rocket even faster, uh, the term vector. Uh, and we see that in biblical prophecy, the world will kind of be cruising along at a good clip, mind you, right? Because the rocket's already moving at a good clip. But then all of a sudden, the afterburners kick in, and the speed accelerates. And we see that with the prophecies of Jesus. 
from zero to 30. Hey, what's going on? Everything's just kind of, what, what's, what's, we don't even have much in the Bible. We don't even know what Jesus was doing. From, for the most part, there's not much written about what he was doing from zero to 30. But we know he was advancing in wisdom and stature among men. But that's about all we know. Then all of a sudden, he has three years where there's a flurry of activity, and there's an intense flurry of activity in the final week, which we refer to as Passion Week, for example. So that gives you an idea of why things will accelerate so much more, and we'll look at some of those facts even that are taking place in our lifetime. Undisputable, even in our lifetime, some of those things that we can see. Let's take a look in a a, a list format, and we'll just kind of go through what we can, uh, as is one of those things, you know, I will... If I have to add a third week, I will. I'll just see what I can get through, and uh, we'll go through it and make sure that we get as much out of the text as possible. Uh, if you're taking notes, we're just, I don't have a three bullet because there's a lot more than that here, and what I'm going to do is just go through them itemization, if you will. The first we want to look at is deception. Jesus starts there in verse 4, and he says, And Jesus answered them and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. This is Jesus' first pointer on the end times, very deceptive. The thing about deception, uh, it wouldn't work if it wasn't really, really good. He's talking to men that had traveled with him for three years. Take heed that no one deceives you guys. You've been with me, you've heard directly from, from God's only begotten Son, and yet I want you to know the deception is so strong, take heed that no one deceives you. Um, earlier this year, we had in, in, our, in our lifetime here in the world, um, a flight MH370 went down somewhere, and we still have no idea where it went. Seven plus months later, no debris, no one knows where it is. Is it near Australia? Is it out in the Indian Ocean? Is it over here? You know. Um, you remember when that happened? It's, it's a little bit of a microcosm. Sometimes it takes a big event to shed some light on things. Uh, I don't know what happened. I have, uh, th- there's a lot of theories of, as to what happened. I do know that I watched several days of press, re- and uh, the number of lies that were told by governments was unreal. In that particular case, I guess they think everyone is really, really dumb. Because some of the lies were so contradictory, you knew they they couldn't both be true. But it gives you an idea that the world is built on not telling the truth. And Jesus is saying, "This this is the way the father of lies, he will deceive, he will manipulate, he'll make things look one way, but they're really not. They're something else. Jesus warns here about deception. What does he start with? He says, for many will come in my name. And say, I am the Christ, will deceive many. He starts with false Christ. Now, we've been, uh, in our study in Ezekiel, we were looking at false prophets. Um, but some things to understand about our lifetime. And that's just our lifetime, but really uh, the last less than 200 years. Uh, take a look at you know, Joseph Smith. He published the Book of Mormon in 1830. And that would become the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. What a deception that is. You not only co-opt the name of Jesus, 
but you co-op Latter-day and you co-op saints. The whole thing is not as it would appear. They're not the saints of Jesus Christ. They're certainly not saints if they're not born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, we want all Mormons to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Amen? This is not, this is not to say that uh, you know, God has saved many Mormons out of that into a real saving faith with Jesus Christ. But the deception, here's a man who publishes the Book of Mormon. It's contradictory to the Scriptures. Co-ops the name of Jesus, Latter-day Saints, and it's none of the above. Today there are 15 million Mormons. And there was started with Joseph Smith in 1830. There's 15 million more. That's more than uh, than there's identifiable Jewish people in the world. They believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, and that after coming to the earth, he became a god. A God. They also teach there's no place called hell for those who died for their sins. And of course, this directly contradicts Jesus himself. Not about, directly contradicts what he says of himself, directly contradicts what he says about hell and punishment and judgment to come. Complete opposite. Jesus said, many will come in what? My name. Church of Jesus Christ. They're using his, they're invoking his name, his great name. A little later in the 1870s was the birth of the Jehovah's Witness movement. They teach that Jesus, um, they teach that Jesus uh, also uh, is much less than divine, much less than equal to God. He was created, just a created man, a great man, but created. Now, of course, Jesus, we know, wasn't created. He did the creating. In the beginning was the Word, Word with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. So the Jehovah's Witness come along a little bit later, 1870s. They like to use Jesus as well, but again, they will tell you that Jesus was created. And they'll ascribe many great characteristics to Him, but He's not God. Again, a complete deception. There's 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses today. There are the many false many many false doctrines of the popes and the Catholic Church. Um, now, I've met many Catholic people in my lifetime. I've actually had people get a little upset with me if I tell them that the Catholic Church is a false institution, um, but it is. Um, there are people in the Catholic Church that are born again, not because of, but in spite of. Does that make sense? Just like there's probably some people that don't know a clue of why they got into it early on that are Freemasons that are probably born again. But boy, once they get all the understanding, hopefully they'll run the other direction, right? Doesn't mean that they're unsaved when they, if they didn't know any better. The ignorance, you can actually you know, find yourself in a place. That, but Catholicism as an institution has been used greatly by the enemy. Uh, some of the false doctrine include salvation by works, purgatory, the worship of Mary, graven images, selling of indulgences, forbiddance of marriage for priests, which Paul, by the way, in 1 Timothy 4.3, he called that the doctrine of demons, forbidding to marry. And we see the devastating destruction of the forbiddance of marriage with all the things that have happened with children and everything else, and I don't have time to go into all of that, but we see the effects of it. Paul knew 
that that was not from heaven. It was from the other direction. Amen? That's just to name a few. I'll come back to some things with Catholicism in a minute because it plays a role in other other areas as well. You have the apostasy in the church. So under deception, if you're taking notes, false Christ. The apostasy in the church. Uh, Well, what does that look like? Well, today, apostasy in the church, you know, it takes different formats. One of the more popular ones today is the worship of money and success, which instead of worshiping God, people worship money. And they worship edifices, and they worship ministries themselves. Remember, Peter and John rejected anyone, get, you know, we're men and brethren, we're just like you. Why are you putting us on a big gold chair on a stage? Which is very popular today. People put up and lifted up, and they're worshiping men, and they're worshiping money, and they're worshiping ministries, and they're worshiping success, but they're not worshiping Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill said this. I got, I got three quotes from Leonard. They were so good I couldn't just stick with one here. He, here is his first one. He said, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. He said, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. He said this. He said, the church is supposed to do what? Stop corruption. Is the church doing that? No. The world is corrupting the church. It would become corrupt. It would become apostate. It would actually begin to bring in the falseness uh, or the idolatry of the world. And then lastly, listen to this one that he says. He says, I'm astounded, bewildered, confused, and baffled when people tell me there are 75 million people in America that are filled with the Holy Ghost and we're the most rotten nation on earth. Now, he said these things in the 70s and further back. But we have a lot of apostasy in the church. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. If you've been, get the last two Wednesday nights if you want to, if you want to hear more about that. Uh, but we have the rejection of the Word of God in the church, the rejection of creation as it is accounted for by God himself in Genesis chapter 1. We have the rejection of God's definition of marriage in the church now. We have the rejection of God being the one that says, I formed you in the womb. Right? And man said, well, we, we'll decide that. All these things in the church now. Rejection. So we have false Christ. We have apostasy in the church. These are things that Jesus warned would come. We have the worldwide systematic religions. Worldwide systematic religions. Now, there were, uh, there were certainly many religions uh, in Jesus' day, a lot of uh, polytheism that you would find in the Greeks and the Romans, which is similar uh, in places in India and stuff. But today, we have such a prominence of very large, huge world religious systems in our day. Give you an example. Uh, The prominence of false faith in the world today. You have Islam, Hinduism, humanism. Don't forget humanism. It belongs right in there with the bunch. It's its own worship of man and intellect and government. Uh, usually humanists believe in... Humanists almost always will end up on the track of socialism and communism because they believe man is brilliant. We know that's not true. That's evidence in every government in the world, ours included. So you have more than 1.6 billion Muslims on planet Earth today. 1.6 billion 
Muslims. Of course, along comes Prophet Muhammad, who gave himself the title, co-ops much of the scriptures as these induced visions and everything else, and writes a book that actually plagiarizes parts of the Bible. But today, 1.6 billion follow what he began. That's about 24% of the world. We have 1 billion Hindus, 1 billion people following the Hindu religion, roughly 13.8% of the world. 376 Buddhists following Buddhism, nearly 7% of the world. But the biggest deceived group of them all, the Christian group. Why do I say that? 2.2 billion claim they are Christians. 2.2 billion, that would make up 31% of the world. Of the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church has 1.22 billion of that 2.2 billion. So the Catholic Church alone is 1.22 billion, bigger than all the, the 1 billion Hindus, a little less than the Muslim. Uh, but people that say, identify themselves on a piece of paper, or on a survey, hey, what are you? Christian, 2.2 billion. In America, now this is where things get interesting when you look at kind of what is false faith. In America, those who claim a born-again experience, now, just because someone claims a born-again experience doesn't even mean born-again. Why? Because born-again is not just an experience. Born-again is a conversion and a complete new creation. Right? When a baby's born, they are a living being. It wasn't a one-time experience. They're a living being. When you are born again, it's not just an experience. I'm not saying it's not an experience, but it's beyond just an experience. It is a conversion. It's a complete change. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. So just people saying that doesn't even mean they truly have been born again, or even they understand what truly born again is. But people that identify themselves as evangelical, 77% say they've been born again. The other 23%, hey, I'm evangelical, I'm just not one of the born again ones. Whatever that means. Of mainline denominations, mainline denominations, uh, these are you know, the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, you know, the mainline denominations, Episcopal Church, mainline, 33% say they're born again. Why do they go? My dad went before me, and his dad went before him, and his dad went before him. Ain't 33%. Catholic Church, 21% claim to be born again. Again, and this is to say that each of them say they've had a born-again experience, which is not the same as conversion. Although some, certainly in that list, are absolutely born again. Some are absolutely converted. Uh, like I said, I believe I've met, I, I believe I've met uh, um, perhaps one uh, gentleman that I used to work with, Catholic, I believe very well is probably born again. Uh, but most people that I've met uh, couldn't even, they couldn't, First of all, they rejected the term outright or didn't understand what it mean, and they had no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's not just in the Catholic Church. You'll find that at Baptist Church down the street, Episcopal Church over here, anywhere, because there's a lot of deception among today people. Hey, I am a churchgoer, therefore I'm going to heaven. That's a great deception. 
Then we have the push for a one-world religion. This is kind of where things are really uh, headed now. Um, This is just back in June. This is in the Christian News Network. June 2014, this year. This is uh, New Pope Francis, something that he did. In an effort to encourage peace in the Middle East, Pope Francis hosted the leaders of Israeli and Palestinian uh, worlds at the Vatican on Sunday, presenting an ecumenical gathering that joined professing Christians and Catholics together with Muslim, Jews, and Druze. If you ever go to Israel, you know, there's a Druze population. An ensemble of Jews, Muslims, and professing Christians played classical music for the trio, and during the ceremony there was a time for interfaith prayer as various religions were represented through prayers for peace. The Times of Israel also reports that the event included the readings about peace by the clergy from the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Quran. This is beautiful kumbaya moment right here. Right? The false prophet will love this and will initiate a lot more than three religions into this meeting. But the groundwork's already begun. I, another church in Germany, I think it's, don't quote me, it, it's definitely Europe, I can't remember if it's Germany or Poland, uh, but I saw this as well. Um, they are planning on building a church where the church will be one-third Muslim, one-third Judaism, and one-third Christianity. And the three different clergy or clerical leaders of each of those have all pledged together and they each have a picture of them with their, each have a brick together where they are ready to kind of build this into one interfaith house because they all have a monotheistic, right? Maybe Allah, the God of the Old Testament, and God. So they say, hey, it's a perfect fit. It's not a perfect fit. It's a very imperfect fit from the enemy. But it's a deception. This, this one world, Jesus, take heed. They'll talk about peace. They'll talk about this is bringing peace. There'll be no more bloodshed because of these things. Isn't that perfect, right? These are the reasons. Who, would, who, who could possibly be against that? Deception. You know, um, these one world pushes are going to continue. But Jesus says, be aware Eventually, if you don't go along with these things, he says, they'll put you in prison and they'll be thinking they're doing God a favor. You, you wacky, you know, born again, so, uh, you know, you, this is not what God wanted. He, wanted. he wanted peace and harmony and we're putting it together and you guys are not, you're not understanding what we're doing here and the great stuff that we're accomplishing. So these things, of course, will happen in an incredible degree in the tribulation period, when you will actually have the false prophet galvanizing all the world into a one false faith. Then we have not only the push for a world religion, but we also have another deception that, interestingly enough, kind of comes on the scene around the same time uh, as Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, and that's this concept of evolution. Thank you, Darwin for bringing this worldwide deception that is massive in our time, isn't it? It, It's now pervasive in the university systems. It's pervasive in the school systems. It's taught as fact in many countries of the world. Go to places like Australia or Japan and things like that. So it's uh, evolution. 
um, comes along, and it, it's around. Notice that most of these big, huge things, they either have gotten really enormous in our lifetime, or they started not too long before us. In the 19th century, for example, 19th, 20th, begin, you see that acceleration taking place. Evolution wasn't a worldwide dominant thought at any time prior to that, but now it's all over the planet. Very, very prominent among the humanism, um, if you want to call it a faith, but it certainly isn't the faith of man. Now, evolution, it directly refutes God. Remember Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our own image. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Not they evolved. He said, Have you not read that he, his father, made them? Of course, Jesus says, Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, Evolution directly denies the truth of Scripture. Completely, flatly said, They can't both be true, folks. One's true and one's a lie. And we know which one is the lie. From the Washington Post, you might have seen very recently, the Pope has decided to endorse evolution. This shouldn't come as any surprise because he's not the first Pope to do it. This is, uh, you'll see this. This is the Washington Post. Just so you know, this is the Washington Post speaking here. It's not the most... Christian of, mag- or Christian of um, journalistic um, materials, but this is what the Washington Post wrote just um, very, very recently within the last week or two. When we read about creation, this is the quote from the Pope. This is Pope Francis' words himself. This is what he said. When we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God was a magician. Um, I've never thought that, Pope Francis, once. In my entire life, 45 years, I have never thought about God as a magician, not a single time until Pope Francis put the thought in my head. Have you? Okay, I go on. We run the risk of imagining God was a magician with a magic wand able to do everything. He's been watching a lot of Disney movies, I can tell. But that is not so, Pope Francis said. He created human beings, well, at least he gave God credit for that, and let them develop according to internal laws that he gave to each one so they would reach their fulfillment. Pope Francis went on to say, evolution in nature is not inconsistent with the notion of creation because evolution requires the, the, requires the creation of beings that evolve. Such thinking is not new. This, again, this is the Washington Post words, not mine. Such thinking is not new for the Catholic Church, which for six decades since the reforms of Pope Pius XII has espoused a belief in theistic evolution, which is an oxymoron. Theistic, they didn't write that. that those are my words at the end. The Post did not call it an oxymoron. Theistic evolution. Taking a false... You know, theistic evolution is like having partly poisoned milk, right? You want to drink it? It only has a little bit. Of, it's got a little bit of arsenic in it, but most, it's all, mostly milk. You should feel pretty good about it. Um, but it's not just that. 
the deception of evolution. If you believe in evolution, you believe in all kinds of other things that are not in the Bible. Um, this article was in the Metro uh, United Kingdom, uh, an online magazine or newspaper, and it says this about the Pope's astronomer. This is this year too, this year. The Pope, I didn't know he had an astronomer, he does. The Pope's astronomer has spoken out on his belief that there is definitely life beyond earth. Well, there is in heaven and hell, but I wouldn't call hell life, but, uh, but the soul will live on. Uh, but he did, that's not what he's speaking of, speaking of extraterrestrials. Uh, he believes there's life definitely beyond earth and says he would happily baptize monstrosities from beyond the stars. In his new booklet, Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial, Jesuit brother Guy Consolamongo, new president of the Vatican Observatory Foundation, said this regarding his commitment to baptizing aliens if they're discovered. He said if any entity, no matter how many tentacles it has, has a soul, he'll do the baptizing. Prepping the world for deception. Prepping the world for deception. Evolution is real. It's not. Aliens are real. They're not. Prepping the world. If the Vatican believes it, it must be true. Well, the Vatican believes you can worship Mary. Not true. The Vatican believes you can pray your saint out of the middle, middle place between heaven and hell. Not true. Found nowhere in the scriptures. These are the things Jesus warned most of. How about what he has next here? For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So we have next, if you're taking note, the tensions of war. Tensions of war. Now certainly, um, don't forget that we, we, we kind of get stuck in just the time in which we're at. But some of you here were at least born while World War II was taking place. And you had the incredible atrocities of the Nazi Holocaust and, and Japan uh, marauding across the Pacific and over into China and, uh, and, uh, what, and, and really the, the millions that died in World Wars one and World War, World War I and World War II, there is a World War III coming. Um, and the first two World Wars were in you know, the lifetime. We've got plenty of people still alive that were alive for both the World Wars. Now they would be quite young when, when World War I was happening, but still, there's people that uh, were born during that period, and we then have you know, World War II, and um, all of that took place uh, in the not so far away, you know, we're not talking about eons ago. Um, there's plenty of World War II veterans. And so there was, you know, in to conceive that there would actually be truly a world war happening on the Atlantic, on the Pacific, all those kind of things. I mean, that was beyond the scope of anyone in the time of Jesus where the, the wars were much more limited uh, regionally than, than when you had modern weaponry and nuclear bombs being dropped and all the things that have taken place. So that's not so far away, but the tensions of war, Jesus said that they would just continue and they would continue to escalate but as we look at next week, when, we, when you come back next week, we'll look at the tensions of war will begin to take shape in prophetic nations that will come together, alliances that will be built, and all that uh, will center around, ultimately, Israel.
I mean, it'll all come down to what's going to take place there in the nation of Israel. But right now, today, we've got the tensions. He says not just wars, but he says there'll be wars and rumors of war. You see of wars and rumors of wars, not be troubled. All these things must come to pass. Um, Notice that it says wars first, then rumors of wars second. If you look at the fact that the two huge world wars took place first, and now we're in much more rumors of war, but there are nations against nations. It was just ethnic against ethnic and kingdom against kingdom. So we still have the ongoing wars, but wars followed by rumors of wars. We have a lot more rumors of wars than actually the massive hot war that uh, World War I or World War II was. But right now we have Russia and Ukraine. You know, uh, Vladimir Putin's already taken a portion uh, there, and you know, there's no doubt he has designs on a lot more than that. Uh, I'm convinced he waited to see our election results and see what's going on. This guy watches everything. Yeah, you... If you ever want to do any study and read them, he doesn't miss much. I'm not saying he... uh, People that don't love the Lord, some of them are really bright. They're bright for all the wrong things. They're bright for evil, but he doesn't miss much. He watches our nation. He actually understands America better than a lot of Americans understand America. It's, it's, It's actually, in a weird way, kind of fascinating. He really does get how Americans tick. And so does China. They really understand this country, and, and they understand the weak underbelly and, and, and attack points. We'll, we'll look at a couple of those things. But you've got Russia and Ukraine, which is, he has designs on a lot more than Ukraine, but the tensions are there right now. Uh, we have Hamas and Israel. Israel always has the, t- the tension of the Palestinian conflict on both sides, on the West Bank as well as there in Gaza. Um, but Hamas, of course, is dedicated to destroying and annihilating Israel. Too bad God has their back, so that won't happen. We'll look at more of that next week. Uh, You've got the conflict in Syria. Syria's actually got more than one conflict. They've got Assad versus rebels, and they've also got rebels versus ISIS going on. How would you like to live in Syria right now? There's hardly a place in Syria that's not impacted by incredible bloodshed. And, of course, ISIS, what they are doing, beheading people, murdering people by the hundreds and thousands. You've got just as much violence, not far from America, you've got the Mexican drug war that's taking place that involves cartels, gangs, and paid police officers. That war has killed thousands in Mexico, El Salvador, all the way through Central America. We don't talk much about it because we don't live around it. But it certainly is a war in and of itself. In Africa, right now in Africa, right now, These are the following wars taking place in Africa right now. We've got the Boko Haram insurgency taking place right now. We've got the Central African Republic War. We've got the Congo War. There's war in Libya right now. There's the Lord's Resistance Army insurgents. There's the Northern Mali conflict. There's the Somali civil war. There's the South Sudan-Sudan border conflict. And Egypt is fighting insurgents in the Sinai Peninsula and just had its most deadly attack in decades. That's Africa right now. That's not including what's going on in Southeast Asia and places. It just gives you a little bit of an idea. Then we've got countries that aren't currently engaged in a war, but they're preparing for war. Iran and North Korea. And China, of course. And Russia, which I've already mentioned. But China, uh, or Iran and North Korea, they're doing everything they can, even though they're not that large, 
compared to you know, some of the other larger countries in the world, especially North Korea, is very small. Uh, Iran's not so small, actually, um, but comparative to like the U.S. or China, they are. Uh, but nuclear programs, of course, uh, North Korea already has nuclear capability, and um, really, there's not much that uh, when, when you're bent on you know bringing uh, you know world chaos. Throw caution to the wind, either one of them at some point. Uh, so they're both preparing. Then you have China. China uh, is waging a number of different types of war. China's waging, waging a cyber war on the United States that if you're not keeping up with it, they are tapping into our systems nonstop. Are you all aware of this? I mean, they regularly get into companies' data. They regularly get into the Department of Defense. They've penetrated just about anything you can think of in U.S. systems, both on the commercial side and the government side. Recently, um, their fighter planes, and uh, I'll, I'll bring this to close, and we'll just stop where we're at. But recently, um, and this is a CNN article, did you see uh, when their fighter planes uh, decided to come and come razor thin close to U.S. fighter planes? This was just uh, over the South China Sea. It says the Chinese is CNN. A Chinese fighter made several dangerous, and I love these words, unprofessional passes. Um, China's not concerned about unprofessionalism. This was actually, in their mind, very professional because it was calculated, and it, nothing happens unless it goes all the way to the top. It's authorized. But they made an unprofessional pass at U.S. Navy planes coming as close as 20 feet in what the White House called a deeply concerning provocation. You think? Deeply concerning provocation. The incident occurred Tuesday, and I don't remember the date, but I'm just reading from the article, in international airspace in the South China Sea, about 135 miles east of the Chinese island of Henan, the Pentagon said. The Chinese jet also passed the nose of the P-80 at 90 degrees with its belly towards the P-80 Poseidon, we believe to make a point of showing its weapons load. See, the rest of the world, these are not just cryptic messages. These are messages, it's kind of like writing something to say, Dear United States, in the days ahead, remember these love notes that we passed you over the South China Sea. An article, in the, uh, an article, this is a today, I read this article today, this is today's article in the Business Insider. Speaking on the progress of Chinese military aviation, this is one of our pilots said this, he said, I think they'll eventually be on par with our fifth generation jets, as they should be, because industrial espionage is alive and well, an unnamed U.S. Fighter pilot, a senior U.S. fighter pilot, familiar with the F-35, the U.S.'s fifth generation stealth fighter. The article goes on to say, this is today's article, Chinese hackers have been noted for their frequent success at obtaining sensitive information relating to U.S. defense projects. Frequent success. Today we live in a computer world. It used to be you couldn't get that technology unless you had spies trade it by a river somewhere in Eastern Europe, passing an umbrella to each other. Not anymore. Now, if you have hackers that know what they're doing, they hack in, they grab the blueprints, they have all the data information, even 3D modeling, and they can take it and they can hire manufacturers to build it, say, build that. And we'll pay you and we'll protect you 
We live in a different world. China's waging a financial war. Uh, them and Russia have teamed up on several uh, meetings now uh, to talk about the demise of the U.S. dollar. Uh, China's economy, in 1995, you know what China's economy was? 1.83 trillion. And the U.S. in 1995 was 7.66 trillion. One point, this was China in 95, 1.83 trillion. U.S. was 7.6 trillion. Russia was down here at not even a trillion, 0.95. 2015, next year, China, 19.23 trillion gross domestic product. United States, 18.28 trillion. China's the largest economy in the world already, and it's in the, in the gap will continue to grow. Of course, they've got over a billion people, 1.2 billion people. Um, Russia now is up to 3.64. If you combine Russia and China, and they're working together, they actually sold off their uh, U.S. Treasury holdings at the same time, just, just before Russia invaded um, uh, Crimea. They sold off three months before. Weirdly, that they both sold all their Treasury holdings, or at least a big, not all of them, but a big portion at the same exact time. And then you add the two combined, uh, Russia and China combined are 4.59 billion bigger in economy combined than the United States. They have the bu combined buying power, the two of them. India is now 7.88 billion. India is growing fast. Brazil is right behind Russia. Actually, if you're familiar with the term BRIC, Brazil, Russia, India, China, those four countries um, have... We already have a new world order in the financial sector because the balance of power has shifted tremendously. There's many other buyers for products, for oil, for things like that. So uh, I'll stop there. What we're doing is we're looking again. First off, I wanted to give you a snapshot of what is happening that Jesus said would take place. There'll be wars and rumors of war. There'll be a lot of false teachers. There'll be big deception, not just a little bit, but millions, in fact, billions deceived by false faith, false teaching. You know, in, in these organizations, as large as they are, look at, the, look at the megaphone the Pope has to speak to billions. My megaphone, I get like 25 of you on a Wednesday night, right? But that's the way it is. He has a megaphone to speak to all those folks, and instead of saying truth, what's he saying? Another lie, another falsehood, another misrepresentation of Scripture. And at the same time, you've got the religious leaders doing this. The military leaders are doing their, they are couching their next plans. Jesus said all this, the rumors, is, is Iran, does Iran actually have nuclear weapons? Israel says they do or they don't. And what all, the, all these rumors, and Jesus said all these things, don't think that they're just moving in a, holding pattern, it's not going to stay that way forever, there will be a matchstick eventually. It'll start to light it all up. Of course, you want to be here next week, we'll look at the rapture and <laughs> why you want to get out of here before that happens. <laughs> so let's close in prayer. Thanks for being patient. Uh, we'll have to stop there. Uh, can't go any further. I've got, uh, it could be a three-week series, sorry. But uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to look at. Lord, we thank you for this time this evening in your word. We would ask, Jesus, that these things uh, would ready us, Lord, that they would uh, cause us to become people that 
even more as we see the day approaching, gathering together to pray, to encourage one another, to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world as many have been delivered up already uh, and are hated and offended uh, because of you, Lord. And we just ask, even right now, Lord, that you would protect our brothers and sisters, deliver them from prisons and from jails and, Lord, from uh, murderous intentions. Lord, we pray for our own nation Uh, Yes, it's true, Lord, that we have a lot of deception, but we also have many born-again believers in this nation. We pray that you would bring a revival starting in the church. And Lord, even before you return, there'd be a great awakening. As you say right here in Matthew 24, that the gospel will go around the world, and then the end will come. So we pray, Lord, that you would use these things to stir our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would be uh, wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Lord, we would lovingly and gently share Christ with those around us. As we leave here, Lord, I pray your protection upon us, and Lord, your joy in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you are dismissed, and I hope you'll be back.